welcome to this week's episode of the Horrible Things Podcast. This is a true crime and disaster podcast where we talk about all things horrible, whether it be a murder, whether it be a building collapsing, anything that just makes you want to cry. My name is Emma Sexton. I am the host of this podcast, and today I'm joined by... Chase Okimura again. Yes, Chase. Actually, how long has it been since you've been on the podcast? It feels like oh, forever. It's been a really, it's actually been a while, probably like three, four months. Three or four months. What was the last More? case you were on? Do you I'm, remember? I believe it was the Amber case. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Okay. Well, the one we're doing today, although depressing, is not as depressing, I would oh, say. Oh, thank the Lord, because you've dropped some news <laughs> I've never wanted to hear on me. <laughs> the number of people that have told me that, <laughs> they say, you know, I thought this was going to be fun, but now I'm just, you know, scared and sad. Yeah. I'm like, welcome to my brain. Well, I did learn a lot from the Amber case, and it was pretty interesting because we like, actually um get amber alert so it was good to know the story behind what those actually came from so that yeah. was cool i think it's pretty cool too have you yeah. been doing anything obviously we're both in quarantine right now as per the last few weeks i'll give my little disclaimer if there's any weird audio stuff it's because we are doing this over zoom because chase and i both practice social distancing yes we Stay do inside don't infect other people we all want to be out of here in the shortest amount of time so that's true. Yes, we practice social distancing. Any weird audio stuff, we're gonna blame it on Zoom. <laughs> yeah. But have you been doing anything true crime adjacent, true crime related hmm. over your break? I know a lot of people are watching the Tiger King. Um I I mean, if Tiger King is true true crime, then yes, I have been. But <laughs> I haven't been act- actively searching. I have watch tiger king though but there is a bunch of sketchy stuff that um that either joe or carol have done in that show so i have not seen tiger king yet because i'm waiting for um harley for those of you who don't know harley's my boyfriend but he wanted to watch it with me but Mm -hmm. right now we're going through all the marvel movies so we're like we'll watch it after we finish watching all the marvel movies but it's take there are so many marvel movies (laughs) yeah if you didn't know that there's like a million so we just finished watching guardians of the galaxy 2 and we're only like halfway through and i was just sitting there i was like we're never gonna watch tiger king like honestly i just skip and just watch it right now because it's trending you have to get the memes while they're still fresh. I know. I've seen all this stuff and I'm like, I really want to watch it. But they're so, I always feel like that because Netflix puts out so much content that I constantly feel behind. That's true. Like Caitlin always talks about a bunch of shows that she's watching. Like, Have you watched this on Netflix? But I don't click it. The only reason I watched Tiger King was just because like the hype behind it. Yeah, there was a but, lot of hype. Yeah. It lived up to it though. It's insane. I'm really Especially excited to for watch you it. being a documentary filmmaker. This is like an insane one to watch. I'm so excited because I was telling, um, I believe, yeah, Emily last episode. I was like, the funny thing is that if you go to Florida, like the people having exotic animals, not that weird, not that weird. That's weird. My grandparents live there. And I've seen some things in my day. And it's just, I'm really looking forward to watching it. But I also don't know, because I have never watched, I feel like it's the um, anti-Irwin family. You know what I mean? (laughs) Do you Mm. know the Irwins? Like Steve Irwin, Bindi Irwin? I I feel like from what I've seen, it's just the opposite of that. And I'm very excited. Yeah. I don't really know how to describe it. There's so much going on. That's kind of what everyone's reaction is to it, it feels like. Yeah. People are just like, I have no idea what to even describe this as. All I know about it is that something about Carol Baskin killing her husband (laughs) and feeding him to tigers. And that's literally the only thing. That is pretty much all you need to know. (laughs) Going into it? Yeah. Actually, (laughs) just watch it. Oh, my God. I'm very excited. I'm going to put that on my to-do list. I have time. I've been... Strangely, my phone usage has dropped a lot over quarantine because I've been like reading more and trying to sleep more. <laughs> I wish I could do that. I My screen time, I don't even want to look at it. Like I know Apple's going to send me that. Your weekly <laughs> screen time is available. And I, like, it was up 200% from last <laughs> week and I was like, uh. 
my How friend ha- <laughs> my friend sent me this screenshot and it was like your daily screen time is 14 hours and i was like that's like the <laughs> oh entire day my god. i was like aside from sleeping that's the whole thing that's just the oh whole day oh my gosh i have missed my um my zoom classes for monday and tuesday this week <laughs> oh this morning yes i missed this morning because i slept through it obviously so oh my gosh my staying up till 5 a.m is not really helping i don't know how you can do that because my body would literally just shut down before i got to 5 a.m <laughs> uh, it would be uh, like time to go to sleep right now <laughs> like i can't really stay up past two and still oh be my gosh okay like if i stay up past two the next day i'm just a disaster hmm yeah i don't know i think gaming has definitely helped with my transition <laughs> so yeah so i should take up video games and then i'll exactly stay up and then you can become as nocturnal as most of us are yeah yeah, I think that if I became nocturnal, I would just make everyone around me miserable, which would just not be <laughs> good. Because I just know that about myself that like when I'm I'm the type of person that when I'm cranky, whether it be like hunger or tiredness, I just make everyone around me miserable with my own. <laughs> I have never experienced cranky cranky Emma before, so. Well, that's I don't a have good any words thing. Behind that. You're very lucky because Harley oh always gosh. says that, like, I have to eat every seven hours, otherwise, I just turn into a monster. Oh my god! It's very true. It's very true. I have to eat every seven hours. Some people okay. I know eat like one meal a day, stay up till five a.m., and I'm just like, I, I don't know how you do it. And his name is Chase Okimura. <laughs> Thank you, name. ladies and gentlemen. Yes, you would survive in the apocalypse longer than I would, though maybe definitely i don't know someone has to take first watch over the community of survivors it's chase (laughs) oh my god but speaking of the apocalypse i'm very excited for today's case because although it is not technically apocalyptic it is very strange and it's not a murder case actually it's a disaster a man-made disaster okay which we I'm have not intrigued. We haven't covered one of these in a while. And I always say at the top of every show, welcome to the Horrible Things podcast. This is a true crime and disaster podcast. But we haven't done a, a disaster in so long. And I was inspired after I went to the grocery store and picked up a magazine called Creepiest Abandoned Places. <laughs> and I was looking <laughs> through it and I was like, you know what? Time to do a disaster story. So I found this one. And not only do I, did I like it because it appeals to my it's just very i feel like there's no other way to just, it's like the tiger king i just have to get into it yes okay so today we're going to be talking about the love canal disaster i have multiple interpretations <laughs> what but yeah i'm i'm just gonna i kind of imagine like a like the la river except there's a bunch of hippies in there just all like vibing <laughs> That's actually exactly right. Really? No, it's not correct at all. Damn it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so Love Canal is actually a community. It's like a neighborhood, and it's in Niagara Falls, New York. So it was originally founded in the 1910s by a guy named William T. Love, which is what a name. What a name. Yeah, that's perfect. So he started building this community and the center of it was the fact that he was building this big canal which was supposed to bring water back and forth from the upper and lower falls to create like hydroelectricity this Mm -hmm. is the 1910s electricity kind of a newish thing which is strange to say but he starts digging this canal he's like oh great I'm going to have plenty of fuel, plenty of energy for this community right by the canal because I'm going to have this amazing, you know, hydroelectric system. So Mm. he starts building. Uh, The community eventually covers about like 36 blocks is what he wanted it to be. And so he starts digging this canal. But unfortunately, the project to create this model home community goes bankrupt Partially because there's this thing that happens called the Panic of 1907, where the stock markets and the whole economy basically completely crashes. And 
So there was no more investors behind his model home, his dream community. And so eventually he stopped building the canal and it's basically just a ditch in the in this area, this okay. neighborhood near, in Niagara Falls, New York. And no one's really doing anything with it. P- partially because of the panic of 1907, all the investors pulled out. But also because Nikola Tesla had just invented like ways to have widespread electricity for a bunch of people in a way that was way less expensive than using a canal to transport water from the falls. So there was basically no monetary value in creating a hydroelectric power source because now Tesla had just invented this way to... Damn you, Tesla. Uh. (laughs) You ever seen The Prestige? No, I haven't. (gasps) What? You have to watch it. My Nikola okay. Tesla reference will make sense if you watch it. It's great. Okay. <laughs> Highly recommend. But anyway, like I said, this canal, which was supposed to be the center of a beautiful community, is basically just a ditch. And <laughs> over time, it starts to fill with water and become an actual canal because you leave a gigantic hole next to the Niagara Falls and it's going to fill with water eventually. So <laughs> it does become a canal. And in the 1920s, uh, Niagara Falls finds another use for it. And it becomes a municipal site to like dump random crap, trash, oh. chemicals, all that stuff. Basically, the city was just dumping everything that they wanted into this canal. And eventually, the area that is around this canal, it, it's about 70 acres of land. They have. Uh, Niagara Falls sells it to the Hooker Chemical Company. Now, I'm not even going to get into the fact that the Hooker Chemical Company is dumping chemicals into the Love Canal because what are the odds of that naming duo? It's just, it's too good to be true. But anyway, <laughs> the in the 1940s, this 70 acres of land is purchased by the Hooker Chemical Company. And also strange because like, a chemical company just doesn't exist anymore. I've never heard of a company that just is like, yep, we just, you know, like make toxic stuff. And <laughs> oh my God. that's our whole shtick. But that's basically what they did. They created resins and like they had stuff to make textiles and all that, all the chemicals that came with making clothing and plastic and all that came from this yeah. company. So by the end of the 1940s, they, they had bought this, 70 acres of land in Niagara Falls and they're searching for a place where they can throw away all their chemical waste. And so the Niagara Power and Development Company says, okay, you can dump all of your chemical waste into this canal. Like we used it as our dump site. You can go ahead and use it as yours. So what they did is they drained all the water and they put clay on the inside of the canal so that it would hold the chemicals better. But they started placing like 55-gallon metal barrels into the canal that were just filled with toxic chemical waste, basically, Mm -hmm. just in New York. And they had, it was like 70 feet wide on either side of the canal, 70 feet outside of it that they also used that whole area as a dump site. And it basically became this gigantic landfill. And that started happening in 1942. And in 1948, uh, Niagara Falls stopped self-sufficient disposal. So they stopped like doing their also doing their dumping at the at the Love Canal site. And so Hooker Chemical was the only person who had access, the only company that had access to this dump site. So no one really knew what they were doing. And over the 10 years that they used the Love Canal as a dump site, they dumped about 20,000 tons of chemicals into the canal. And some of these, you guessed it, were very toxic, lethal to human beings chemicals. And not everything was done in a legal way in terms of how they actually put these chemicals in and how they like they were supposed to make sure that nothing could ever leak, nothing like that. It was not so. And the area around it was becoming more and more populated as obviously it's Niagara Falls, New York, you know, as time goes on, more and more people want to move there, more and more people want to be there. So in 1952, uh, they start to notice that, okay, it seems likely that Niagara Falls, that the government's going to invoke eminent domain and take this site from us. So they pretty much stopped using the dump site in 1952 and they had started 10 years earlier. 
And the chemicals were about 25 feet underneath the surface because they had put clay over top of where they had dumped everything. And they covered it with like the seal. And eventually they just put dirt on top of it and like plants were growing on top. You couldn't even tell that it okay. had been a dump site okay, way earlier. Is, something's bad. It's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. So because of the growing population in Niagara Falls, the Niagara Falls City School District is like, hey, we need a place to build more schools. Um, can we take that land from you? Can we buy that from oh you? There's at this time, there's like 98,000 to 100 and around 100,000 people living in Niagara Falls. Uh, and this is like in the 1950s. And like I said earlier, there had been lots of waste dumped on this site, like at least 88 different chemicals and around 15 of them were toxic chemicals that were lethal to human beings. Yes. Um, but, and they had stopped using it as a dump site in 1952. So the land basically had no use for them. And they saw this as an opportunity, the fact that the school district wanted it to not be liable for all the stuff they put in the canal. So here's this oh quote. God. Um, here's a quote from one of the guys who was selling the land. He said, the more we thought about it, the more interested we became in the proposition and finally came to the conclusion that the Love Canal property, property is rapidly becoming a liability because of housing projects in the near vicinity of our property. Uh, yada, yada, yada. And then he says, we became convinced that it would be a wise move to turn this property over to the schools provided we could not be held responsible for future claims or damages resulting from underground storage of chemicals, end quote. Oh, my God. So they're like, okay, yeah, you want the land? Sure. And they end up selling it to the Niagara Falls city and to the school board for a grand total of $1. <laughs> what? Yes. 70 wait, acres of land in New York. Wait, and the, that quote, was that in like an interrogation room? No, that was just him sending letters back and forth, speaking to people at board meetings. They're, he's just talking about... Oh. He's talking to the press about, why'd you sell it? Like, why did you decide to sell it? And we thought it was a good move. Obviously, afterward. This wasn't known I mean, at the time. Oh, my gosh. So they knew, okay, we don't want to get sued one day because we put all these chemicals here and now people are, you know, starting to live close by. So we'll just sell it off. They sell it off for a dollar. And they're handing over this land filled with toxic waste and chemicals to people who had literally no idea how to maintenance the site, how to take care of it, because they didn't know exactly what was going on in there. And then pretty much immediately after they sign the contract, they get everything done. The Niagara Falls School Board goes in and starts doing construction on top of the site that violates safety precautions oh God. and starts allowing chemicals to slip through the clay seal that uh, the Hooker Chemical Company had put over at the top. So right, like right away, things go badly because A, the Hooker Chemical Company was not great and they were dumping toxic waste in a public site and B, because the Niagara Falls school board is like we need a school let's build it right on top of this chemical waste and let's not be safe about putting a foundation in wait so the board was in on it too just to make everything happen the cheapest way possible um well they didn't know that there were so many toxic chemicals that's the thing it's like they knew there were chemicals they just didn't okay. know how bad it was and they also started doing but it was partially their fault because when they were doing the construction they weren't as safe as they should have been Okay. So in the late 50s, about 100 homes and a school are built on the site of this chemical waste. And despite, there's like a big, so the attorneys for the chemical company start telling the school, like the architects also start telling the school, hey, it might be a bad idea to build on this ground because in 1954, uh, when they were excavating the area to put the school in, they found two dump sites and two of the 55-gallon like barrels that had chemical waste in them literally popped up out, out of the ground oh while gosh. they were excavating. Like dangerous chemicals. And so, and they're trying to build a school here. And so yeah. the architect's like, hey, I'm thinking, not a great idea. And so then what do they do after they find dangerous chemicals where they were building? They say, okay, and they move the school 85 feet away from the original site. 85 feet. 
And then they start building again and they moved the kindergarten. They had a kindergarten and they moved that also because it was oh directly God. on top of a chemical These kindergarten garden kids are going to get burnt up. Dude, it was literally like this was called the 99th Street School. And this is what like the whole big plan was. They wanted to build the school. And then when they see literal chemical waste barrels popping up in during excavation they just are like okay let's just move it over a little bit and oh my god they just adjusted a little bit and so in 1955 also i don't know why i find it very concerning that they were excavating in 1954 and then it was built in 1955 like it was just done after That's all a this fast but they open it in 1955 and there's about 400 to 500 kids who start oh going there. Oh my God. And that year that it opened, there was like this big area of the school that during a heavy rain that just crumbled and there was <gasps> 55 gallon um, barrels that came up to the surface in oh the school. My God. And the those like chemicals that were around were spread by the rain yeah and so that created like toxic chemical puddles around the school so then they were like okay let's shut it down and so they shut down the 99th street school and they <laughs> opened the 93rd street school which was six blocks away <laughs> oh smart smart but They're the whole somewhere. thing 70 acres chemical dump site just the whole thing and yeah i kind of like, i kind of forget how big the canal was so that was like everywhere and also, you have to remember that, like, chemicals, it's spread through, partially through, like, radiation in the air. You know, like, it's in the ground, but when it starts leaking out, you don't even have to be in direct contact with it to be affected by it. So, it's just not a great thing at all. Yeah, I can imagine, like, th things, like, visibly dying around it, like the plants, wildlife dying around yes, it. Yes, yes. Okay, we're going to talk about that also later because there's this crazy quote once the epa finally gets involved but okay it's just insane to me a lot of times with these man-made disasters you know i talk about the fact that i'm like how could this happen you know like how could there be just so much stupidity that first of all you don't go in and check before you build a school on top of a chemical dump site yeah and they tell you that it's a chemical dump site for it, it takes one person to like say we probably shouldn't do this, which like compared to the other stories you've had, like the Chernobyl one about how, <laughs> what, what do we call them? The, the mid, the midnight crew. What, oh what yeah. Them? The full squad. The full squad. Throwback to how, the third how, episode. They couldn't, they couldn't have just asked one person. They just kept on doing what they were doing in their night shift. Like yeah. the same thing here there, but it seems like they're actually making moves. Like, once they realize the chemical barrels are there, they like shut it down. Of course, it was wrong to do it there in the first place. But like, at yeah. least they're like changing things on site. My thing is, it's like it's still kind of that same situation of like it could have, it would have just been one person to say, "Hey, maybe we should like make sure all these chemicals are actually sealed in the ground and not a threat to people." It would yeah, have just definitely. taken the the one person to say that, but no one said that because again, it's. It's the situation where the population is rapidly expanding and they need places to go. And so yeah. they're looking for what can we get built the fastest? And this was it. And it was a great location. Uh, the Love Canal neighborhood, because the whole neighborhood's called Love Canal. And it was a very small neighborhood at first, but it became like a very working class community of people who were, would say, yeah, I'm from Love Canal not necessarily knowing what was underneath their feet, like what their town yeah. had been built on because all this happened in the 50s and it wasn't widespread back then. It wasn't talked about openly back then, obviously. So yeah, it's just a really bad situation. And then it was kind of quiet for a couple of years, you know, things were fine. And then about 15 years later, the school board decides that they're going to sell some of the land they bought from the Hooker Chemical Company to private developers who decide to build about 800 homes and 240 apartments. Oh and this is when the town is getting a little bit bigger. But lawyers from Hooker Chemical said to them before they started building, hey, you really shouldn't do that because if you try to install a sewer system, chemicals will definitely start to leak out of the ground. Because if you're trying to build all this stuff underground there, 
on the other side of the canal where we used this as a dump site for years and years. Then we put a clay seal over it. If you go in and start messing with stuff underground, chemicals will definitely start to leak out of there. But what do they do? They still start doing construction. And this community who didn't know that they were sitting on top of these dangerous chemicals were very rudely awakened after a record amount of rainfall. This is when the real... So Love Canal was a big disaster and it was in the news a lot because unlike other disasters, actually kind of similar to some like Chernobyl, it it took a long time before the government was acknowledged it as a actual state of emergency crisis. And so in the 1970s, there was a record amount of rainfall in Niagara Falls, New York. And because of that, chemicals started to surface like they had in the original 99th street school chemicals started to surface whether it be those 55 gallon barrels coming up or people would notice black fluids coming out of the canal or kids would like go out and come back with rashes on them oh god that's when they also the epa eventually started doing in the 70s started doing investigations into what was going on but it wasn't quick. Like, you have to think, this land was sold in the 50s, and it basically mm-hmm. took 20, 25 years for anyone to start investigating, is this safe for human beings to live here? Because something uh. that they noticed right away doing their investigations was higher rates of miscarriages. There were a lot of birth defects, and people found it hard to breathe, or people would develop oh asthma, or epilepsy, things like that, especially kids who went to those schools that were built directly next to or on waste sites so it's getting it's a very serious situation and so the epa in the 70s um just for anyone who doesn't know not from america the epa is the environmental protection agency it's like a bureaucracy thing and they're supposed to make sure that the environment doesn't crash and burn um so they start doing (laughs) investigations and this one guy who was from the EPA, he actually had a journal he wrote on their website where he talked about visiting the Love Canal neighborhood. And he mm-hmm. talks about the fact that he, you could see those barrels full of chemicals in people's backyards that were coming up through the ground. You could what? see that all of the vegetation that was on top of these sites and trees and people's gardens were all turning black and everything was just dying like all the vegetation just dying. There was one person he talked about where he had seen that there was a swimming pool that was in the ground that popped up out of the ground because there were chemicals coming in underneath it. And it was just sitting on top of all these chemicals. And while he was walking around, residents would point out, like, here is a straight-up puddle of chemicals in front of my house. And there was some in basements, on in the schools... Uh, people were having trouble breathing because the air was just filled with chemicals and kids would go out to go play. And if they stepped in the wrong thing, they would come back and they would have burns literally from playing outside oh my God. in this community. And this is this is a pretty small community, right? Not, it's not L.A. It's not New York City, it, Manhattan. People aren't paying attention is the problem. And in 1976, some of the local newspapers start publishing articles about what's happening in Love Canal, saying, we don't feel safe here. This doesn't feel like a safe place to live. And eventually, the residents start to get more and more angry as time goes on. And one of the main people in the protest against the conditions that they were living in in Love Canal was Lois Gibbs. She was a mother and she was the president of the Love Canal Homeowners Association, which was a huge piece of the reason that they're eventually able to get out of Love Canal. But so their whole argument is that, OK, we live here and we bought our houses not knowing that we were living on top of a toxic chemical waste site. that This is going to affect our health. They yeah. knew it had been a dump site previously, but they didn't think it would be affecting them, you know, so. The Homeowners Association says, we are a working class community. We can't afford to just pack up our stuff and leave. The government needs to buy our houses from us because we should we should be able to have that money and move 
because Mm -hmm. we're putting ourselves in danger now without and we didn't know that before so they are wanting the government to buy everything and lois gibbs who's the president of the homeowners association she the big thing that she played on was talking from the perspective of mothers with children she had a kid named michael who went to he developed epilepsy after he started going to school in love canal and they eventually linked that and a couple other uh conditions he had such as asthma and a really low white blood cell count to the fact that he had lived in love canal and been exposed to these chemicals all his life yeah and so they start protesting and writing and making a big fuss to the government basically saying you guys need to buy our homes immediately so the first kind of step that happens is that the government goes in the epa tests all the stuff they test the blood they take blood tests from a large portion of the people who live there and they find that yeah they're they're noticing some weird things so they buy the the two rows of houses on either side of the canal they Mm -hmm. buy they buy those people out. They tell them to move. They urge pregnant women and children to leave. And they just buy those first two rows of houses and put up fences and say, okay, no one can go inside this area. But the rest of the citizens are still panicking because they're like, okay, if these are chemicals, how can I be safe if I'm just right here on the other side of the fence? Yeah. Which, valid. I would be very freaked out. Yeah, I mean, it's not like you're not living on top of a toxic wa- toxic wasteland still. It's still in the air. Yeah, it's just... And <sighs> also, just telling pregnant women and children to leave is kind of like, well, it's still that problem of we don't have any money to leave. Yeah, no, that's what I was going to say. Where do you like, go? So this makes people angrier because they say okay you recognize there's a problem you recognize this is dangerous but clearly you care more about the money and in 1978 so two years after this had first become a protesting issue in love canal uh august 2nd 1978 it becomes big so these stories get picked up by a big audience it's going national and we're in the middle of jimmy carter's re-election campaign So they start protesting heavily. People were pissed because they knew it wasn't safe, but they didn't have the money to up and leave. So they start getting to the national media. Lois Gibbs talks about the fact that she one of the first things she learned in this whole fight was that the importance of getting to the media. And so they started doing crazy stuff. They burned effigies of Jimmy Carter in the streets literally in the streets because they were so pissed and when two epa officers who were there not the ones who had tested the blood of all the citizens but two other ones came in to talk to them and they were just telling them like you'll be fine you'll be fine they took those two epa officers hostage basically and said if it's if you think it's so safe to live here then you'll live here Oh my gosh, that is awesome. If you're yeah, I it's kind of it's kind of badass. Like I feel obviously don't take people hostage if you can avoid it. Yeah, oh, but yeah, it's yeah. a powerful statement to just say, okay, if you, it's okay for us to live here, then it should be fine for you to live here too, right? Yeah. But eventually the EPA the, the big turning point really was that the EPA blood test came back and they did find um chromosomal abnormalities within the population so they found yes there is a higher percentage of birth defects and something seems to be affecting these people beyond the ordinary so oh my god it's this is the way that they're figuring it out it's like they're just neglecting the fact that there's a huge chemical dump it's like there might be something affecting these people i don't know what it is I heard some guy dump something underneath the houses, but that's we're starting not. to consider the possibility, <laughs> the possibility that the chemicals might be having a negative <laughs> impact. <laughs> and this is literally, like I said, they this took two years from the point that they knew that the civilians knew it was serious because they were having these freaking barrels of chemicals pop up in their yard, float up, up from the ground. Yeah, it. I mean, black fluid coming out of the canal they they know like they all know it really yeah. reminds me of flint that's what it reminds me of flint flint michigan you know how they still don't have clean water 
I did not know that. So basically, it's this town in Michigan. This is honestly a whole other episode, but they, I think they had some sort of lead leak into their water supply, and mm-hmm. it was killing people because obviously lead is poisonous to human beings, and they couldn't get clean water. Like They would turn on their sink, and water literally just flowed out that was filled with lead. It was like brown water. And oh, God. It w- it's just a horrible, horrible situation. And I'm pretty sure as of 2018, at least, they didn't have clean water still. And it started in like 2015, 2016. So oh my God. it took two to th- two to three years, I think, before anything really happened. And they were able to start getting some help. But it was the national media attention on Flint that caused the government to finally take notice and be like, okay, we got to do something about this, which is, you know, kind of bad. Not what you want. You want them to just want to help you for the sake of helping you. But in the end, I think, especially with Love Canal, it was a political game. I mean, Jimmy Carter wanted to get reelected and you can't really get elected again. It's hard to be elected by the American people when you see your own people on the national, on the news burning effigies of you in the street. You know, it's just not, it's not a good look. So they were, they were pissed. And this is also the 70s. So this is kind of early in, we've had a lot of disasters. We've had a lot of disasters, but I would say a lot of them are fairly recent. I mean, I think of like um, oil spills and, you know, and Fukushima and pandemics. (laughs) It's all fairly recent. So this is kind of the... This is the first of its kind almost of, especially in terms of chemical dumping, the first time the government says, you know what? This is really bad. This is really, really not good. So (laughs) on August 7th, um, the state government, so Niagara Falls says, okay, we will purchase all your homes because you're right. It's not safe to live here. Thank you, Niagara Falls people. Finally. And August 7th, President Carter also says that we're going to give emergency funds to the people of Love Canal to get out of there. And fun fact, this was the first time in U.S. history that um, emergency funds were ever given to something other than a natural disaster. So it was the first first man-made disaster in U.S. history to have emergency funds dedicated to it. But it was very at that point it was basically a state of emergency and by the end of yeah i mean it's been like 50 years yeah 40 something years it's been let's see they started dumping waste there in 1942 and this didn't happen until 1978 i'm not good at math but i know that's almost 40 years i think it's 30 30 something yeah around then it's like it, it's 36 years in the making, two years of having a fire under it, really, of the community fighting back mm-hmm. and saying, no, we won't take this. But by the end of August, they had 98 families who were evacuated, and they found temporary housing for lots of them. And uh, after the most contaminated areas were evacuated first, as were pregnant women and children. But in the end, about over 200 families moved away from the Love Canal area. Mm-hmm. So really crazy. And the government spent $7 million purchasing homes from these people because they needed to get out. And they, at that point they realized, okay, this is really bad. And to this day, like in terms of long-term effects, they knew that there were more common to be birth defects and miscarriages. But in terms of like the long-term, they haven't necessarily found any uh, long-lasting effects. But again, with radiation it's not so much a, and chemicals, it's not so much here's an immediate thing that will happen to you, not unless you're really exposed. It's more of could you have lived six or seven years longer if you hadn't been exposed to those chemicals? Things like having a low white blood cell count can lead to things like cancer or, uh, you know, heart disease, not being able to fight off infection Mm -hmm. or illness. And it's just, it's just that living there for a certain amount of time could shave years off your life basically it's not and that's that's also the weird thing about it is it's easy to just say oh look no one died from it in the moment 
And it's like, yeah, no one died from it in the moment, but you don't know what the full effect was that you, no one will ever really know what the full effect was. Cause even if you track everyone down, you're not going to be able to really tell the difference between someone who lived to be 60 and someone who lived, who could have yeah. lived to be 75, you know? Yeah. It's just, it's tragic because no one paid attention to them. <laughs> no one paid attention to the fact that this is like a serious, a very serious issue, you know? Yeah, it took a lot more than it should have for the like them to actually get help. And yes. it definitely bit them in the butt because the government started dumping there in the first place and they could do it because they're the government. And then they sold the land to make money off of it. Yeah. So, I mean, they it was a problem. Like they knew I'm sure they knew something bad was going to go happen after, especially if they started building like residential buildings around it. That's just doesn't make logical sense like even overlooking financial like you can make a crap ton of money over it because it's so much land but you you know something's gonna go wrong in the future costing you seven million dollars plus so yeah and it's just it's insane because after they had everyone gone right they tore down a lot of the buildings and what they did is they went in they excavated they covered everything in clay once more and now they put Clay. they put pipes and uh, drainage systems around the original chemical dump site so that if anything tries to escape the clay, it should be drained out of uh-huh. the area so it won't go up anymore. But they rebuilt a lot of the houses there and they actually, people live there again now in Love Canal, despite the fact that there's, it really? is te- technically still a chemical waste site. The government now said it's safe to live in and- uh, some people bought homes there because it's Niagara Falls, New York, and the houses are very cheap because they just want people to live there. Yeah. But people like uh, we talked about Lois Gibbs earlier, who was pretty much a main reason why the government eventually took notice is because she protested and her group protested so hard. But she opened her own environmental agency where her own group where she tried to bring attention to. Uh, chemical spills and and companies that were dumping dangerous chemicals and harming the environment and she spoke out and said that it's still a toxic waste site it's clearly not safe to live there so a lot of people who originally lived in love canal didn't move back hardly anyone moved back because they still don't think it's safe and one good thing though that did come out of this is the government established this thing called the super fund have you heard of it Mm mm-hmm It's basically this government agency that they looked at the situation in Love Canal and they said, hmm, you know, I bet the Hooker Chemical Company isn't the only company who dumped toxic chemicals into the ground. Interesting. They said, I bet that is the case. And so they created a government organization uh, funded by the Superfund. And Mm. what they do is they look for towns and people who are being affected by maybe in the 40s 50s 60s companies that dumped toxic waste into the ground and it's now seeping up so their entire job there's been multiple cities where and areas that they've torn down and bought the houses and torn down because of love canal because now they're looking into more okay who dumped chemicals in the ground 30 years ago that's now gonna kill a bunch of people today yeah so that became an organization and became a dedicated area and something we put funds toward as a country after the Love Canal incident, after the Love Canal disaster, because people were pissed. And I think very rightly so, because obviously anytime you have something that affects children, you're going to have a very big outcry from the people, especially people that live there i mean the pretty much the entire protest was about um mothers and children saying are you going to let us live here knowing that it's affecting our kids so it was yeah (sighs) crazy such a crazy thing to even think about and honestly such a nightmare because chemicals radiation all that stuff it's the silent killer like you don't know you might not even know it's there or what it's doing and that's true Totally freaks me out. Yeah, that must have been so scary just seeing the statistics in that neighborhood. Like, 
be so high for like miscarriages and like the rates of like the asthma things for the kids and it's just how do they not notice i think some part of me thinks it's almost it must have been willful ignorance at some point you know whether from the hooker chemical company that didn't want to that wanted to get rid of their own liability and just give it to Niagara Falls. Yeah. I think it was much more based in money and willful ignorance than it was a general sense of wanting to preserve and keep the community safe. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I I agree with that. It's tempting to take the easy way around a lot of times. Yeah. I think, and they definitely just, did. Yeah, it's so frustrating too because it's just you have I guess the thing about that that frustrates me so much is there's not I like to have a an a one person enemy that I'm like it's your fault. You are a monster. You totally suck. But yeah. it's just that human thing almost where it's terrible but you know, if you see something bad happening whether it be on the road or something like that, sometimes you just look at it and you're like, "Oh, I bet someone else is going to call the police." Or like someone oh, someone else the, will take like care the of that. Bystander effect. Yeah, yeah. Where it's just someone else will take care of that. Why should I be the one to call? Why should I be the one to do this? And yeah, then exactly. A lot of people wanting to just be like, oh, someone else will take care of it. And everybody over. has that mindset. Yeah. And then over time, this is what happens. Like you just let the, the problem just becomes bigger and bigger and bigger until it yeah. harms people. And that is very, very scary. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's a, in our city there's a landfill kind of close to my house like it was kind of close to my house and they built apartments on top of it and i'm like that's so strange like i know it's just Hmm. a landfill at least they weren't dumping chemicals but i would just be nervous the idea that my house is built on top of something freaks me out yeah true it's like oh you've seen us right huh no i haven't okay but i've heard things about it yeah okay watch that and then i'll bring up some references (laughs) but it's yeah it's it's scary have you heard of darren kuyu no this is kind of a good things underneath someone's house but basically this guy in (laughs) this guy in turkey he um was living in this apartment building right and he was i think he was on the ground floor okay something like that he found like he knocked in one of either his floor or his closet, like a wall or a floorboard in mm. his house and discovered an underground ancient lost city. Oh, what? Right? Isn't that That's crazy? crazy? And they found that basically there was this whole city and it was all like made of underground tunnels. There were thrones and like rooms and all this stuff underneath the modern day city because they when people had continued building they didn't scrap everything and keep going they just built on top of it but it got to the point of being so ancient that people just thought okay this is the ground level but then there was this entire lost city called Darinkuyu underneath their regular city and they just started excavating they started excavating it maybe like 30 or 40 years ago or something it might actually not be that early but it's crazy like that is my dream (laughs) have you heard of um seattle's underground city no what is that so wait let me just double check yeah i'm pretty sure there was an underground city but that it it impresses me so much that they they just push the reset button and then just make a whole entire city on top of another yeah like that's crazy and i love the pictures too because it's like this guy's random apartment like white walls normal crap closet and then there's this big hole and this giant like, what's this ancient underground city and like it's a narnia huge thing. it's big like it is a big city and what's it, this how do you do you know how to spell it yes okay it's d-e-r-i-n-k found it. you found it did you see the picture oh wow this is really ancient yeah like ancient it looks like ant tunnels yeah isn't it crazy well did you see the oh i see bricks as well yeah do you see the there's like this crazy picture of they have a big landscape 
image of it and it's it's just crazy and this guy basically just knocked in his apartment and found that like what that's insane yeah that's my dream i see the exterior part too like it comes out of ground right yeah that is insane i know that is seriously i know i've said it a million times my dream i want to be indiana jones like that's so cool (laughs) One of my favorite authors, speaking of Lost Cities, one of my favorite authors, Douglas Preston, he wrote this book called something, I think The Monkey God or something. But basically he went on this expedition in, I think, South America. And he and the group that he was backpacking with, he's an author, but he just went because he thought it could be a cool story because he's also a journalist. And while he was hiking there, they found the remains uh, of a giant lost ancient civilization. That's cool. Like, I just can't imagine. I know I could never do it because I hate bugs and I'm bad at camping. (laughs) But it would be super cool to just like knock in your apartment wall and oh my gosh, a city. Yeah, that's insane. Yeah, it's so crazy. Underground stuff, guys, lost cities. That's Lost cities amazing. or chemicals, something something's gonna happen. Yeah, something underground, crazy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's nothing underground in California. We're all below. Literally, Chase and I both live below sea level. So, did you know yeah, that? We, did you not know that? No, I did not. But that 12.0 earthquake that's coming soon. That oh, whoa, uh, what's happening? I'm kidding. But <laughs> that's yeah. Just- that's not going to be good. A lot of people are really terrified of earthquakes, and I feel like I've become desensitized to them because I live in California. Yeah, no, me too. It's like... I'll sleep through them. I just don't even... I, they're not that big, but I'll just sleep through them. Minor, Any minor shaking, I'll just... I don't yeah. care. I don't even feel it anymore. And the, I think the biggest one I remember is one where my our couch slid across the room. <laughs> and... <laughs> <laughs> I genuinely, I was a kid and I thought I was telepathic. Like, I'm not kidding. I Dude, thought uh, I moved the couch with my brain. I was so convinced. And your mom convinced. was like, Emma, get, un- get underneath <laughs> the door sill. And you're like, ah, look, mom, the couch is moving. Whoa. <laughs> Actually, the couch slid across the room. And in my head, I thought I have powers. But what I said out loud was, I didn't do that. <laughs> and Please my mom was like, me. I know. But, you know, whatever. Then we oh, all ran my. and got under our door frame. Yeah. But anyway, that was yeah. that's that's the case. That is the case of the Love Canal disaster. What did you that, think overall? That was pretty stupid of the government, especially because they started dumping at the beginning. Um, I mean, I'm glad that we learned a lot from it because like, it was probably one of the first environmental things that the government had to take into their own hands because they, I'm sure, because like environmental protection stuff hasn't really gotten to the point it has now because we have social media and then all our age groups are posting about all this environmental protection stuff. So the government getting involved in like 1970s about that stuff is pretty cool. But it took this many years after 1940 something for it to actually happen so it just proves that you have to have something big happen for people to actually notice it which so. is kind of a bummer but also like i mean it's just to be relevant history. to today it's like we should maybe start paying attention to environment stuff before it's too late Yes, except for that Bill Nye video kind of said it's already too late. Mm. <laughs> Oof, that's kind of, you know, we're already in a pandemic. We can worry about global um, catastrophe, global environmental catastrophe after the pandemic. So yeah, let's the pandemic is good first. for the environment, actually. No, true, true. Yeah. But, you know, so on that note, I think it's time to transition into my favorite segment on the show. Happy things. Yay. (laughs) Would you like to go first or would you like me to go first? We're just going to say one good thing that happened in this past week or one good thing that's going to happen in your week next week. Hmm. Let me see. What is going to happen? That's good. I will let you go first. Okay. (laughs) 
it's especially hard when 90% of what you're doing is staying at home. Yes, that's that's what I was trying to think through. (laughs) I think my happy thing is that I have two, actually. Got to find the the small joys, too. One (laughs) is that this past weekend was Easter, and it was super lovely and fun. Uh, I direct video at my job, my real job that I make money on, is I (laughs) direct uh, live video at a church, and we're doing everything online now. So it was just really great to do Easter. And then my second happy thing is that I've been re-watching all my favorite rom-coms. If you go to my actual personal Instagram, which is just Emma Sexton, uh, on my story highlights, I have like my top favorite rom-coms. And I've been going back through all my favorites. And I just love romantic comedy movies. I just adore them. I know they're not like cinematic masterpieces, but I'm of the belief that not everything you watch should be or has to be a cinematic masterpiece. Sometimes it just needs to be fun. So I've been (laughs) rewatching all those and I'm completely loving them. But I also need to watch Parasite soon. Every time I watch Emma, I know, I know, I know. I feel so bad about it. I actually, I have all my research ready to do on uh, this korean serial killer right Mm -hmm. but i want to wait until i watch parasite because there's this whole the reason it there's this whole bong Joon ho like came out and had a big statement about it and how it related to his movie so i just wanted to watch it before but yeah that's coming on that's coming soon that's on the horizon guys but i just need to watch parasite first but anyway yes rom-coms and easter those are my two happy things (laughs) let's see um I think I am okay. Okay, I thought of it. Yes. So, like the first couple weeks of um, the pandemic, we would do like Jackbox nights in Discord. So okay, fun. That was kind of the thing that was fueling my social, like the social parts of my day. <laughs> Just playing Jackbox. And then we'd also do movies over Discord. So, like, we do movie nights. That's I fun. I think those are the two events that we would normally be doing in person on Discord that were my probably my happiest days of the pandemic so far. Aw. So, yeah. Yeah, just, that's... Like we were saying earlier, just, like, any chance for social interaction is important yeah super important i think it was buker yeah buker was telling me we have a friend named andrew buker but friend he's the, last of the show guy. he's been on a couple times i hate i hate him i hate him <laughs> he's a liar fine. um but he, he was telling us but and i completely agree like humans are social beings we need to like talk to other people to like live because yeah. i haven't felt it yet but Caitlin is going psycho. Yep. If you can't tell by her Instagram feed. We love Caitlin. Without <laughs> talking to people in person every day. So, yeah. yeah. I hate, <laughs> I feel like I have no in between. I mean, they're like, oh, I wish I could just like go to the beach and be with my friends. Or I'm kind of like, you know, maybe it's bad that I kind of enjoy this at some times. But I think that's no. the... The introvert like, in me being like, it's kind of nice to just be home and watch TV and not have to like go out all the time. I, I feel like everybody's like that though, because I think everybody wants to live a responsibility free life. And then this pandemic is giving us the like freedom to not have to do much. So it's just like, just enjoy it. And then we can, we can go back to normal life later. Yeah. I feel like I'm trying to enjoy the best of it now and then. Because I just know when things get like I'm hating it now, but I know when life gets stressful again, I'm going to be like, man, I didn't appreciate quarantine enough. (laughs) So trying to just do the best. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but those are good, happy things. Yes. Social beings. Social interaction is good. This is good. Having a conversation with someone, even if it's about chemical spills for an hour. (laughs) This is healthy. Oh, God. Yeah. All right. Well, I think it's time to end the podcast there. Thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode of the Horrible Things podcast. If you want to help out with the podcast in any way, you can either go to patreon.com slash horrible things or you can go ahead and 
go to Apple Podcasts, leave a rate and review. If you want to find horrible things on a time when it's not a Tuesday, go ahead and send over a message to me or to at horrible things podcast on Instagram, Twitter, wherever. We're all over the place. But yeah, just thank you guys so much for listening. I hope your quarantine is okay. I hope everyone is staying safe and healthy. And I just want to remind you guys that you should always, always remember to check the puddle before you jump in it. And strange things happen in the love canal. And most importantly, don't (laughs) Don't do do horrible horrible things. things.